Hello, this is the second sermon in our series, Faith in the Everyday, looking at the letter written by James in the New Testament. Last week we looked at James' first foray into helping the Jewish Christians dispersed around the Mediterranean as he is worried for their real everyday faith because of the stories he's hearing about them. Now we are not dispersed Jewish Christians, but you know we are dispersed Christians and so all that James writes to them applies to us too. We are living and working in the 21st century everyday world, tempted by its pleasures and delights and perhaps its moral standards too. Someone once said that we are citizens of heaven but strangers on earth, in the world but not of it. Today's passage is another one that will challenge our everyday faith. So are you ready? In this passage from chapter 2, James is going to challenge our faith on several fronts. But he starts, verse 1, with a very distinct reminder. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favouritism. Well, I wonder what picture that statement conjures up in your mind. Well, just in case you can't come up with one, James gives one. This is clearly not a hypothetical problem either. In fact, this early in his book suggests that it's quite a big problem amongst his readers, maybe. His visual clue works just as well today, too. Two men, dressed very differently, being given very different seats. Let's play it out today. There are some newcomers in the church. Oh, look, there's a new man coming in the door. Wow, look who it is, you know, that celebrity. His suit must have come from Savile Row Taylor's. And look at his phone. Oh, what a nice aftershave he's wearing. Oh, what's that smell? Oh, my goodness, his clothes are not very clean and they really don't fit. Has he ever washed? So how do the welcomers behave? Thank you so much for coming and joining us this morning. It's great to have you here. Why don't you come and sit at the front? You'll get a great view. If there's anything at all that you need, just ask. We'll be only too pleased to help you. Excuse me, are you sure you're in the right place? Well, if you're going to stay, could you stand over there by the window at the back and keep out of everyone's way? We don't want any disruptions in the service. So both these people are new. It's their first time at church for years and yet they are treated so differently. One is so welcomed and the other barely tolerated. Who has the greater worth, do you think? Well, perhaps that depends on who you are. No doubt, like me, this seems very far-fetched to you. And of course, we wouldn't do that, would we? We might have some faults, but this isn't one of them. Shall we go straight on to the next chapter? But you know, sometimes we can all have this kind of attitude. You see, James isn't just talking about how we deal with someone when we walk through the church door. He's talking about favouritism, an attitude that we can all have towards people if we're not careful. And it is profoundly unchristian. It says, in effect, that someone who is worth more to the world is worth more to the church too. And therefore also that someone who is worth nothing to the world is also worth nothing to the church. 
So you see, this means that we are making a judgment about someone's soul being worth more than another's, all on the basis of what they're wearing and how they're smelling. And James says this is just not on. Verse 4, you have become judges with evil thoughts. Now, as I said last week, he isn't one for pulling punches. Favouritism isn't just something to be discouraged. It is evil and contradicts the authentic faith that James shared in chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Remember I said too that James was influenced by the teaching of his half-brother Jesus. But the book of Proverbs is an important influence as well, and that's because James grew up as a Jew. He knew the Torah inside out and knew Proverbs to be a book for the development of his wisdom alongside the things that Jesus taught him, particularly in his Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew's Gospel. James had learnt for himself that Jesus' teaching made sense, was worth following. It brought him into a better relationship with God. Remember how we saw at first he didn't understand. So which bit of that sermon is he using here? Well, chapter 5, verses 46 to 48. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm sure that you will know favouritism is really ingrained in our culture. We are probably all more influenced by it than we think. Just for a moment, imagine, what are the blinding effects of materialism on us all? Wanting the best of this, that or the other, because someone we admire perhaps has such a thing. That's simply the way advertising works, isn't it? But it isn't the way that God works. James gives us three reasons for us to think carefully about this. First, favouritism opposes the gospel. Verse 5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? James says, look at the churches around you. For his first readers and hearers, the overwhelming majority of Christians at that time came from poorer backgrounds. The people who responded to the gospel in the main came because God was calling and choosing from among the poor of society. And you know, this is true today too, it would seem. In 1910, 93% of the world's Christians lived in Europe or the Americas. But in 2010, it was 63%. Christianity has been estimated to be growing rapidly in South America, Africa and Asia. In Africa, for instance, in 1900, there were only 8.7 million adherents of Christianity. Now there are 390 million. And it's expected that by 2025, there will be 600 million Christians in African countries like Mali, Burkina Faso and Benin. They're not well-off countries by any imagination. But notice what God is choosing them for to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised. For James, God seems to be choosing the very people the early churches were dismissing. Are they the very people we might ignore too? But this isn't just about numbers. Jesus says something about camels and eyes of needles in relation to rich people entering the kingdom of God. You find it in Mark 10.25, didn't he? Why? Well, because actually the gospel message is very clear. We cannot save ourselves. 
Jesus died in order to do that for us. He wasn't an added extra to make our salvation sure because of what we had or hadn't already done or achieved in any terms, wealth included. Jesus' contribution to our salvation is actually all that is needed. We don't have to contribute anything at all. Secondly, James says, favouritism breaks the law. Verses 8 and 9. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. If you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James is highlighting to the dispersed churches that that command which we know from Leviticus 19 verse 18, love your neighbours as yourself, that Jesus also emphasised, of course. I wonder if we might say that this is perhaps the law in a nutshell. Jesus used it as a kind of executive summary when asked what was really important. Jesus put this law, after loving God, front and centre. James calls it the royal law because his king repeated it so often. But why does James mention it now? Well, perhaps his readers were using it to justify their actions. Look how well we are doing at keeping the law with all this great new people in the church with their smart... fill in the blank... But actually, they are only really loving some of their neighbours. And if we keep the law on our terms, not God's, then actually, we're really breaking it, aren't we? Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Third, James says, favouritism is not merciful. Verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Living God's ways will always be best for us. Agreed? Sam Albury says in his commentary, we are to speak and act in the light of all that Jesus calls us to do. But in his conclusion about favouritism being forbidden, James reminds us that God's law will judge us in some way eventually. It will expose the kind of lives that we have actually led and whether or not we've been impacted and shaped by a real faith in Christ. And James has already told us what that faith should look like. Religion that God, keep, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, how do we show mercy to all those around us? And it's not arbitrary, and you only have to look at the life of Jesus to see that to be a follower of his means to be like him, compassionate and merciful to everyone underlined, no matter who they are how wealthy they are, what clothes they wear, or even how they smell. I'm reminded of the Beatitudes at this point, the attitudes we are called to have. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Matthew 5 verse 7. Look at how James says it in verse 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Looking at this again today has really made me think about God's mercy to me, poured over me, and whether I extend the same level of mercy to others. At the cross, we can see the real depth of God's love and mercy. And as we gaze on this, and perhaps only as we gaze on this, we can become naturally merciful ourselves. James then concludes our reading today and the rest of the chapter, reminding us that faith really works. And we can see that by what we see being done. It's easy to claim to have faith, but what do others think? 
James is certain that faith on its own is dead. He would say that the things that having our faith encourages us to do will be the things that will help others see the gospel story at work in our lives. That might be a possibility, therefore, for them and an encouragement in their life. As we read on in the chapter, we can see that James is concerned for us that we are really about our faith. That the words we say together as a statement of faith, which we will do shortly, are real for us, not just nice sentimental words. This chapter of James is really important. If only there was time to look at the rest more deeply, thinking about Abraham and Rahab and putting their belief in action. If we could, we would see that James would say that their examples give us an idea of the faith that matters, the faith that justifies, verse 24, and the faith that saves, verse 14. Tom Wright says this, This is near the heart of James, the challenge to make sure that our faith is the real thing, that it does what it says on the packet. I think this is the challenge for each of us and for all of us. I wonder how other people are reading the packets that we present. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for James's letter. We pray that as we consider what we are saying by the things that we are doing, we would hear your word to us. In your name we pray. Amen.